All right. So, man, what a worship time, guys. Signs of what is coming. Look around. There's, there's you know, a bunch of guests. And, you know, we're just believing, as I shared two weeks ago, believing that the Lord is, is really doing something new and powerful in Philadelphia and in Bristol. And he's bringing the chess pieces together for his kingdom purposes and his kingdom's sake. And uh, Bristol is a part of it, which is awesome. So, yeah, today, a little bit off of what I did hear of Josh, we can discuss a little bit about the spies in the land. And um, <clears throat> so we're going to be in uh, Numbers chapter 14-ish for today. So let me just calm myself down because I just like ran down to the bathroom, right? So Lord, I come before you and I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I'm thankful for what you've already done for us. Lord, I pray that today would be a word that would fall on fertile soil. So I pray that you open minds and spirits right now. In your name we pray, amen. So, we just got back from Israel just a couple days ago, and uh, it was a very, very powerful time, very, very powerful time. Um, and so for those of you who don't know or don't know me too well, you know, I lived in Israel for almost three years, going to school and, and living, but it was just such a blessing to see the land of Israel through the eyes of people who have been there for the first time. Like, it just, just did my heart so well. And now, one of the things that I was there for was to give some insight in, into some, some biblical understanding uh, at some of the sites. Um, but one of the things that we kind of began with, or I began with before leaving, was, was telling people um, this, this pretty cool quote. Five Gospels record the life of Jesus. Four you will find in books, and one you will find in the land they call holy. Four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Gospels. This guy's saying that there's a fifth book. The fifth book is the land itself, the land of Israel itself that they call holy. If you read the fifth gospel, then the world of the four will open to you. And so here's just, I'm just telling the reality, not to make you guys feel bad, but like when you go to Israel, everything comes alive to you. You're like, wow, this is what was happening at the time. You get to see the sights. Actually, I have a pottery shard in my pocket that I was going to give to Alan. But he's not here today, but... Alan has a daughter named Hannah, and this pottery shard is literally from the place called Shiloh. And it's at Shiloh that Hannah got on her knees and prayed for a son. And we went there, and we went to the entrance to the tabernacle, and right there was pottery shards. So I'm going to give it to him. Like, that's debris in Israel, right? It's amazing. And it's so amazingly powerful, which you really cannot convey... Unless you go. You know, I, I can stand up here for three weeks and try to tell you all about it, but until you go, you don't really quite experience it. So, you know, with all that being said, that's what we were doing. It was a very, very, very fruitful time. I'm sure it will be working its way into things that we're talking about uh, over the next couple weeks. And <clears throat> I'm not too sure if you remember, two weeks ago, I was talking about how, like, when we come back from Israel, I really felt the Lord was just putting on my heart and, and Josh's heart about kingdom principles. Like there are principles that are in, in, in our faith that I think maybe we've lost sight of. And so today is really like the first of this sermon series. And I'm going to call, I guess, the sermon series Holy Principles, Holy Land. Because what happens here is this. That there are certain principles, holy principles that are taught in the Holy Land, in, in the land of Israel throughout, throughout the ages, um, that I think that many of us have actually uh, forgotten to implement. Because look, we live in a strange land, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, but we live here, and it's a beautiful land, and it's an awesome land, but it's a strange land. Uh, and so what happens here is, in many regards, when you live in a strange land, you begin to adopt strange principles. The land itself teaches you principles, okay, um, which has major impact. So what are these holy principles that we can learn from the holy land? Well, holy principles, of course, include salvation. We, we all know that. 
Uh, but it also really involves living a life of and in salvation. So what I'm getting at here is this. Many of us, we come to faith, we get saved, done deal. There's so much more to that. Now, in the strange land that we live in, it may say, look, get saved, cool, check that box, you're going to heaven, now live the life that you want. Pursue what you want, do what you want. Now, that, that, that's such a foreign concept to the Bible and a foreign concept to the land which is called holy. And so, fine, well, I get it, you know, we don't live in the promised land, right? We don't live in Israel, we live in the United States of America. Um, which is an awesome, beautiful place. But we can take this kind of idea and we can make it spiritual, if you will. Earth is the strange land. And heaven is the place and the land of promise. And what heaven, heaven has called you to is this kind of spiritual promised land. Does that make sense? Yeah? So here it is. We, we, we actually, once we get saved, we're supposed to be residing in a holy place. Right? Our prayers, our spirits, in a sense, are in heavenly places through Messiah Jesus. Uh, and so what happens here is we, need to, we really need to remember that. We need to remember that we dwell in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, as the scriptures teach us. Amen. And if that's the case, we live in a holy land. A spiritual, metaphysical, philosophical, but also very real place. And if we live there, we need to tap into the principles of that place. Yeah. Like in heaven, there, there isn't want, right? In heaven, there isn't, there isn't disease. In, 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 in heaven, there isn't the things of sin. And so that's, it, this is not our home, but this place teaches us things. But those things are corrupt. And they're against the word of the Lord. And so we need to place ourselves in heavenly places and think about heavenly things and think about those things which are pure and holy and righteous and good. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 puts it this way. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let's just think about that right there. Paul the Apostle, most likely, is saying that we have a boldness that we are able to enter into the holy of holies. Because of the blood of Yeshua, the blood of Jesus. Like, that's a dwelling place, man. Like, you could be at Wawa and be transported, in a sense, in your spirit to the Holy of Holies because of the blood of the Lamb of God that's taken away the sins of the world. Yeah. Like, we have to get out of this thinking that I'm living here. No, my body is here, but my life and my spirit, my mind and all of it is in heavenly places because of the Messiah. Come on, that's, that's like big stuff there. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Let us draw near the true heart with a full assurance of heavenly things. So I'm saying all that because we need to get into this perspective that there are places, there is a land, and wherever you place your feet, that land and that place is going to teach you principles. Yeah. And those principles are often wrong. Come on, man. <laughs> They're just wrong. They're wrong. That's why the nation of Israel was called to a land. A land where he placed his name on. He says he's made many nations, but he made one land. The land of Israel. The chosen people were to reside there for multiple reasons, but one reason is because the land itself teaches them things. And so this is really about the notion or the power of perception. Since going back from Israel, right, we're all juiced up on the history of Israel and everything, and David or David Ben-Gurion is the first prime minister of Israel. He's like Israel's George Washington. And he says this, In Israel... In order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. <laughs> like this, this is a secular, non-believing, first prime minister of Israel who is recognizing the only way to believe what is true is to believe in miracles. Because there's no way that this nation should exist. Like you are living and breathing a miracle. And so an atheist with a huge respect 
for the word of God in some sense. It's like, I can't explain it. And so, fine, Israel is a promised land, and I want to say this to you. For you and I to get to heavenly places and to live a life of principles that are in a promised land, in order for you to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. You live in a place where miracles abound. To be unrealistic is to believe that there can't be miracles. But to be a realist, you believe in the power of miracle. Because that is what sits in heavenly places in the Holy of Holies, and we have access to that because of the high priest Jesus. It's like so unbelievable. This can't happen. Well, actually, since it can happen, it means that it can happen. But you gotta, we have to train our minds to do that. And so fine, you know, you spent a week in Israel and, and you're reminded of the miracle. And, and it, it, the, the physical land and the physical element of a state of Israel, like you cannot walk away untouched. Because you're like, how can this be? After 2,000 years and a Holocaust, Three years later, after the Holocaust, from the four corners of the earth, the Jewish people returned to a land that God had given them, fulfilling partially Ezekiel chapter 37. It's like, how can that happen? Out of the actual dust of remains of the Holocaust comes Ezekiel's dry bones. Three years, like that. Satan tried to eliminate the Jewish people, and in response, the miracle happens that they are transported, if you will, to the promised land. Unbelievable. After 6,000 years, after 6,000 years, they're the only case. After 6,000 years, you have the same people speaking the same language of 6,000 years ago, living in the same land of 6,000 years ago, with the same faith of 6,000 years ago. Like Father Abraham. That land, that language, that people, all of it. There's no other society like that. It's a miracle. They're surrounded by enemies, but yet they flourish. 70 years ago, it's a desert. Today, there are skyscrapers. The Israeli economy is the leader in high-tech and pharmaceuticals. The desert is blooming again, just like the scripture said. And one that I really like, which is just amazing. <clears throat> Israel is the size of New Jersey. But according to the more recent rankings, it is the size of New Jersey, but it's the eighth most powerful country in the world. Okay, so the country has been around for 70 years. Six million of the, of the people, ha almost half of the population of the, of the Jewish race on planet Earth, were exterminated in the Holocaust. But yet 70 years later, they're considered the eighth most powerful country in the world, and they're the size of New Jersey. To be a realist, you must believe in miracles. It's the only way. And we need to bring that to us. And so the principle, right, the founding principles that I believe that we've lost in the church is this one. This is what I'm really teaching on today. What you see is not more real than what is true. I want to say this again. This is a kingdom principle that we have forgotten. What you see is not more real than what is true. What you see is in Israel being surrounded by its enemies, it's going to be swallowed up. What you see is a podunk country. No. Because it's the promised land of God. And I want to relate that to us, that you are supposed to live in a spiritual promised land. And to get to that spiritual promised land, you cannot live by what you see. Because what you see is going to lie to you. What you see is not true. Not completely true. It's not. So what you see is not more real than what is true. You need to write this down for next time you're going through it. I see with my eyes the earthly, but what, is, what trumps earthly? Amen. What, what, what trumps earthly things? Heavenly things. 
And if you have access to the Holy of Holies, then you have access to heavenly things. And I don't mean like a get-rich prosperity theology here. I'm talking about when you're going through it, you can rely on, I don't see what, what I see is not real. The promises of God is real. So what do you see in your life? What obstacles do you see? What problems do you have? What life are you living? Okay. And now, what does heaven have to say about it? You see an ailment. You see a sickness. You see a difficulty in your family. You see all those things. Okay, that's what I see. But what does heaven have to say about these things? Now, you're going to be pulled because you live in a strange land. You're going to be pulled to strange principles. The strange principle seems very logical. What you see is true. Oh, but heaven says in a different place that actually what you see is not necessarily true, but what heaven is is true. And what it's going to bring to you is true. Now, that is very foreign to us in America, but when you're living literally in the physical state of Israel, you cannot escape it because you are living a miracle. We need to live in a place of miracle in our mindset. So, <clears throat> what about this promised land, whether it's the physical actual land of Israel or if it is the land of your mind and your spirit? This is where we go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, I believe Josh uh, was making mention of it. Numbers chapter 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assemblies of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is Tov Ma'od Ma'od. Is a, a very good, or some translate, exceedingly good land. Okay, so let's step back. For some of us who don't know the story. Leaving Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness. Or 40 years is kind of continuing after this, but... The spies go into the land. Ten spies come back and say, Woo, bad stuff in the land. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, are like, Oh, this land is so good. It is so very, very good. It's the land of milk and honey. This is the promised land that God has given us. So the power of perception, the power of reality versus what you see and what is true and all this kind of stuff is a beautiful story for us. The ten spies that go into the land of Israel and get spooked What's going on? They only see with their earthly eyes. There are giants in the land, they say. There are giants there. There are big things. Things that are there for our destruction. We're going to be like grasshoppers before them. There's no way that we can take this land. Then Joshua and Caleb are like, what? The land is very good. They're the optimists. Like, we're not basing our decision-making based on earthly perspectives. I'm going to base it off of what God said. I am taking you out of the land of Egypt. I am bringing you to the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's yours. And I'm going to be there with you. And you're going to destroy and fight the inhabitants thereof. Now, let's just be real. If you were there, get my timeline, about 3,000 years ago, and you hear the report. Which spy are you going to be? I'll only be like Joshua and Caleb. Yeah, right. I've been a pastor three years, and I'm telling you, you probably won't be. That's the point of this message, is to make you a Joshua Caleb. You'll be like, oh, I don't know. The doctors gave me this report. I don't know. The mortgage broker said I don't make enough money. I don't know. My family doesn't seem to want to follow the Lord. It's just done. I have too much stress in my life. Work is this. Work is that. Come on, people. You are repeating what the ten spies did. No. I live in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. There's an inheritance for me because of the blood of Jesus. And I rely on that. Because he said the promised land is Aretz 
Tov ma'od ma'od. It is a land that is very, very good. Done. Done. But, but, done. Du but, but, done. No. What I see is not real. What God says is true. You've got you you to retrain our mind. Because to be a realist in the kingdom of God, you have to believe in the miracle. So which spy are you? If God has brought you this far in faith, has brought you this far in life, do you think he's going to allow you to fail? Like, really? Like, the most precious commodity in the universe, the blood of Jesus, was spilled for me. Do you really think that that commodity, that blood, is so weak that it can't transform you in your life and your experiences? It's the blood of Jesus. It has the power to raise the dead. It has the power to defeat death and sin. He's not going to bring me this far just to allow me to sin again tomorrow and to wrestle again with the same worry, the same anxiety. No, no, no. no. He didn't bring me to the Jordan to just let me see it and then laugh at me. He brought me to say, cross the river into the promised land. Come on, he saved me. His blood. Me. He's not doing all this so I can just fail. No way. Because what you see is not true. What he says is true. And I believe today in the 21st century, we need Joshua's and Caleb's. And they're not Joshua and Caleb's that say, use these kingdom principles in order to grow wealthy. No, that, we have enough of them. We need Joshua and Caleb's who are looking at other people in the church and say, come on. It's time to cross the River Jordan. You can serve King Jesus on the eastern side of the river, but that's not his calling for you. Right? Serving King Jesus on the eastern side of the river and not crossing the Jordan River is the complacent Christian. I'm saved, I'm good, that's it. You're one of those ten tribes. Go back to Egypt, go wallow in slavery, go wallow in bondage. But two spies, Joshua and Caleb, are like, no, that is not my inheritance. I'm crossing the river. I'm seeing life abundantly. Not just life. Salvation, but life abundantly. So we need Joshua and Caleb. They're like, look, man, it's not good enough anymore to just allow things to keep occurring in your life. The struggles, the sins, the worries, the anxiety. It's time to get real. It's time to, all of us, man up, woman up, cross the river, live in a promised land. But it takes you crossing it takes you seeing the giants of your life and saying, okay, there's a giant there. But what does the scripture say? Does anyone know what Joshua and Caleb says about the giants? Yeah, there are giants there. Yeah, there are. There are difficulties. There are problems. But the giants shall be our bread. You go on and read the story, right? They, they see the giants. Like, yeah, I know there's giants, but the giants shall be our, our bread. <laughs> the giant shall be our bread. Let's go back since some of us have not read this in a while. Numbers 14, we're going to read 1 through 10 to build the context. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? So that's the mentality. Of, no, God has brought us this far so we would fail. Right? That's that articulation. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before, before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out 
is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people or the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meaning before all the children of Israel. So we break down this story. They're faced with these difficulties. They're faced from living in the land of the promise. There are giants there. They say, forget this. This is too much. Let's just go back to Egypt. The Egyptians will take us back. We'll be slaves again. We'll go back to our mess. We'll go back to our sin. What's Egypt? It's a place of bondage. It's a place of slavery. It's a place, or I should say, it's not the place that the Father has for you. The Egypt experience, your place of bondage, the place of not being free from things, it's not where the Father wants you. He wants you in the promised land. Because the promised land is the place where holiness dwells. They want to return to it. They want to return to their junk. So what does it say? Moses and Aaron, the leaders of Israel, fall on their knees and they're like weeping and crying like, how could these people do this? How could they want this again? And then it says very beautifully, but. In the midst of all this, one word, but. In Hebrew, it's one letter, the. The. But. Caleb. One man. Caleb. He tears his clothes. He weeps. He mourns. How can you all be doing this? And Joshua's there as well, but they're singling out Caleb. Why is Caleb and Joshua tearing their clothes? Because they were in the promised land. They saw it. They experienced it. They saw the fruit. They ate of the fruit. They ate of the land of abundance, the place of life, of freedom, of liberty. They were there. And now all their brethren are like, oh, it's not possible. They're like, we were there. You can live a life free of sin. You can live a life free of worry. You can live a life free of anxiety. No, I can't. <laughs> they ripped their clothes. Yes, you can. We were there. We've seen it. We, we have it. No, no, I can't. You're Joshua. You're Caleb. It's like, that's why they're ripping their, their, their clothes in mourning. Because they saw the promised land. And Caleb announces, the giant shall be your bread. Bread, lechem. It's really weird. It's like, why have giants bread? Why not hummus? Why not falafel? Why not goat? Like, why bread? And so this, you gotta, you gotta, gotta dig a little deeper into some like rabbinical commentaries. Christians aren't really talking about it, but you dig deep into some of the, the rabbinical ideas. The lettering in Hebrew, like the letters, which the Greek alphabet had as well, and the Latin alphabet has as well, which we use, but we don't really think about it too much. Each, each letter represented an object, okay? So our letters come from a representation of an object. Lamed, or an object or, or a thing. So Lamed is essentially the representation of a school, the place of learning. Chet, the, the next one. Oh, I have slides for this, I think. Learning. The next one, chet, is a doorway, like a post and lintel to a, to a house. You almost see the shape, right? Right? The lamed, I think, learning, it almost looks like someone's sitting. I think that might be it. Okay, if you can see it. And then the mem is water, mayim, nourishment. So what is Caleb saying? This is what I believe by the Spirit of God and, and, and looking up some more ancient commentaries is that the giants that are in the land are there for you to learn. They're there for it to be your gateway into the place of true nourishment by the Spirit of God. Like, the giants are there in Israel, in the promised land, so that you can be nourished by them. What do you, what do you mean nourished by them? The obstacle is nourishing me for me to believe the truths of God. 
There are no giants, they go right in. Whatever. There are giants, they're forced to what? To learn, to overcome, to rely on the truths of God. Get what I'm saying? That's why it's nourishment to their spirit. The giants, the difficulties of your life are there, in a sense, to nourish you. You take them, you're like, I can get through this, like David killed the lion and the bear, and then he can get to Goliath. You take out those, those giants, then you can take out the Philistines. Then you take out the Canaanites, and the, the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and all, all the rest, right? <clears throat> so the giants are in your life to teach you to rely on the truths of God. Okay? Numbers 14, we're going to jump ahead to verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complained against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says in the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. All right, because you are afraid of the giants, we're going back into the desert. All of you are going to die out. Anyone over the age of 20? Once you guys die out, then we'll bring us back into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, you guys are obviously older than 20, but because you had faith and you believed with the eyes of the Spirit, you will be allowed to enter into the promised land and also your inhabitants. That's what's going on. Okay? But here's the thing. Verse 28 says this. This is God speaking here. It's very powerful. As I live, says in my hearing, so I will do to you. God is saying, because you have spoken that you are to go back to Egypt, the place of bondage, it will be. I will do it. This is the power of this perception. What you say and what you believe will happen. God here is actually saying, I'm going to allow it to happen. Because you've said it, because you've grumbled, because you don't believe me, and you rather have this type of lifestyle, you will have it. And I'm going to let you have it. Because you believe that. That's a very powerful perspective. What you believe is true in your life. Man, you believe you can just wallow in sin. God's going to say, go ahead, do it. If you think that you can wallow in worry and anxiety, God's going to say, fine, go ahead. If that's what you want, go ahead. It's not what I have for you. If that's what you want, go ahead. It's very powerful. He says, it's not his will. He doesn't want it. He says, because you have said it, I'll let it happen. Woo! Power of the tongue. Your perception is your reality. What you believe will happen, they will return and not see the promised land. Except for Caleb and Joshua. And what's so beautiful about this is it says in verse 24, but my servant Caleb is going to be able to enter the promised land. Why? It says here, because he has a different spirit. Caleb has a different spirit. And because he has a different spirit, he's going to be able to enter the promised land. Am I losing you guys or no? And he says that Caleb and his descendants will be able to enter the promised land. This is very powerful. Your perception and your attitude is not just for you. It's for your descendants. If you're not motivated to get your life right, maybe it's your children that are going to motivate you. The 10 spies that went in, their kids are just back like, Dad, what'd you say? Oh, it was so afraid we got to go back to Egypt. Then the kids are not going to be able to enter the promised land. If you yourself, spiritually, do not enter into heavenly places, it will be much more difficult for your children to enter into those heavenly places. We know this to be surefiably true. A mother or father who drinks too much, their children are much more likely to drink too much. Parents that smoke, their kids are much more likely to smoke. Husbands that are aggressive and abusive, their sons are much, much more likely to be that way. It's a kingdom principle. So if you're not doing it for you, which you should, I mean, but like the motivation, like do it for your kids. Your kids will have a much harder time living in the land of abundance, in the land of promise. Because they need someone to model it for them. 
And Joshua and Caleb are like, hey, kids, yeah, there are giants in there, but isn't it awesome? God is going to provide, and we're going to, like, kick butt. And the kids are probably like, yeah, Dad, let's do it. And the other dads are like, oh, I don't know. It's a little tough. Let's just go back to Egypt. Okay. It's very, very powerful kingdom principle. So people say, all right, what was Caleb's different spirit? Like, he has this different spirit. Well, what the heck is the different spirit? And so there's all these different takes. One is like, well, Caleb had faith. Okay, he had faith. But where does the faith come from? You know what I mean? Talking about just have faith, people. It's like the cheesiest, worst thing you can say. Just have faith. If I had faith, I would, just, I would have the faith. You telling me that I need faith does not solve the problem. It just diagnoses the problem that already is. Just have faith, brother. How do I get the faith? That's, that's the whole thing. You, you know what I'm saying? You ever, you ever, you're going through something, you're like, you know, all things work for the good. Those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's true, but it's like, I think I need a little more. <laughs> have faith. Okay. Can, I, can you tell me how to get it? You know. <laughs> now, uh, those of you who grew up in church know what I'm talking about. Fine, where does the faith come from? So there's, there's, there's these beautiful uh, uh, understandings. Well, you see, Caleb in Hebrew is Kalev. And in Hebrew, a dog is Kalev. Kalev, Kalev, right? Oh, it's a wordplay. Caleb had the, had the makings like a dog. You know, your dog is always so faithful, always so by you, and wherever you go, the dog goes, that's very beautiful, I like it. Some people are like, well, Kalev, C-L-V, essentially. So the C in Hebrew is like. Lev is heart. He had a heart likened unto God. Oh, that's wonderful too. I love it. It's beautiful. But it's like, okay, well, wh where does this heart or this dog experience come from? And so maybe we'll get the worship team or actually Dwight, I think, is going to play. When you come on down, just keep it a little low. I feel like I need a little help in the spirit. Where, 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 does, where does this different spirit come from? He had faith. Great. Well, how do you have faith? So uh, this is Dave's view after uh, studying this stuff. Numbers 32, 14. And look. Is this right? It's not right. I apologize. I have the wrong uh, scripture verse. You're going to have to take me on it. Oh, no, there it is. Verse 12. Numbers 32, verse 12. There it is. It says, except Caleb, right? Caleb is the one that's able to enter into the promised land. It says, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. I think this is the mystery of Caleb and the mystery of having a different spirit. It says that Caleb was the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. What the heck's a Kenizzite? If you ever see that location, that is uh, Petra. Um, it's in uh, modern-day Jordan. Um, Petra was built by the Edomites or the Kenizzites. It's a kingdom in the south there, the kingdom of Edom. The kingdom of Edom uh, were for people that were not of the household of Israel. So here we go. Caleb is a descendant of the Kenizzites, the Edomites. He is not a children of Israel. He's not. Why is this significant? I think it's what produced a different spirit in Caleb. He was a foreigner of God, but he was eventually adopted into the household of God through the tribe of Judah. But he's a foreigner. He's one of the multitudes, the mixed multitudes that left Egypt with the Israelites. See, he was a foreigner of God, but he was brought into the kingdom of God because of the grace of God. Mm. You see, little Caleb, when he was a boy, his family line served other gods. 
did other practices. He's of the descendant of Esau instead of the descendant of Jacob. But they're practicing and serving other gods, serving other gods, serving other gods, serving other gods. But then he comes in contact with his long-lost cousins, essentially, the descendants of Israel. And he sees the one true God. And he's like, that's it. I believe why Caleb had a different spirit is because he was not born into the household of Israel. He knew other things. He knew sin. He knew other gods. And he's like, that can't be fulfilling. But this God who brought us out of Egypt, who led us by a pillar of fire, this is the true God. I, he's like telling Israel, I saw what other gods gave, but I see now what your God gives. And that's why he has a different spirit, because the kingdom of God was not taken lightly by him, because he was saved by grace to come into the household of God. And really what it comes down to in closing up things is this. I believe what produces a spirit of Caleb and a spirit that is able to recognize that what you see is not true, but what God says is true is a spirit of remembrance. Zakor. Caleb remembered Egypt and he remembered the promised land. But he also remembered what it was like serving other gods, being separated from God. He remembered how good God is and how he was adopted into this household of, of Judah. It's about remembrance. And I think that largely we have forgotten. To remember is an act of holiness. It is an act of worship. This is why Zakor, remember, happens all the time in the Bible. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember that I am the Lord thy God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. The Hebrew calendar, the biblical calendar is all about remembrance. Passover, be reminded of the Passover lamb. Shavuot, remember that the law of God was given and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts came down. Yom Kippur, another holiday, it's the day of atonement. It's all about, you have to remember, you have to remember. And I believe that there are people in the church today that have just forgotten what God says about them and about their situation. Psalm 77, verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate in all your work and talk of your deeds. Psalm 20. Jesus. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What you see is not more real than what is true. When living in Israel and experiencing the nation of Israel, you are forced to remember the Bible because the Bible is all around you. But we living here, we need to live a life in a symbolic promised land. We need to surround ourselves with remembrance. If you want to have a different spirit. Because there's so many giants out there. There's so many things. What are the things that we need to remember? We need to remember that the land of salvation is an exceedingly good, good land. We need to remember that I have come, Jesus says, to give you life, life abundantly. Life to prosper you, to heal you, to be a leader and not a follower. Not to be enthralled and covered in sin. He has come to set you free. But you need to remember like Caleb remembered what his life was like before he came into the kingdom of God. If you remember and you adopt a spirit of remembrance on you, you got to write them down. you got to write all the things that God did for your life down, man. And when you doubt and the giants are so big, you open it up and you read over it. Yes, I can overcome these things because he allowed me to overcome all this other stuff. That's how you get a different spirit. John 8, 44.
The devil was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. Come on. The devil is a liar. There is no truth, not any truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But those lies are spoken when you're living in the wrong land. When you're living the land in sin and doubt and anxiety, the liar will come to you and feed you lies. They're giants. Just go on living your life. Just go on sinning. Just go on doing it. It's too hard. It's this. It's that. Liar. Liar. But I have a disease and the doctor. He is a liar. He's come to me life, life abundantly, to transcend sin, to go past these things, to step on serpents and not be poisoned, to lay my hands on the sick and see them healed. That's the truth of God. Even though I don't see it, it's the truth. But it's so tasty to go back to the place of lies. Mm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The devil's a liar. As it says there, verse 45 says this. But because, Jesus speaking, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. <laughs> so many of us are going to walk away today. Or maybe some of us are going to walk away. We just spoke truth. But you're not going to believe me. In the same context of Jesus going to people in the first century, he says the devil is a liar, he speaks lies, he's a murderer, all these things that you're thinking about. I, Jesus, am saying all this to you, but yet you do not believe. So, practicality. I highly encourage you to write down, like today, tomorrow in your quiet time, take a piece of paper, write down all of the things that the Lord has done for you. Write down a book of remembrance. He, he saved me. He, 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 he took me off of pills. He, he led me to my spouse. He, he gave me a wonderful family. He gave me beautiful children. He provided for me. Even though I don't have a job or the job that I want, he still is able to. And you start writing it all down. And then your mind begins to be transformed on that which is true through remembrance. So why don't we stand? Father, I just come before you and I pray for a spirit of zuhur, a spirit of remembrance. Father, whatever junk we're going through, whatever giants we see, come on, Lord. I pray that you remind us that giants are here to be our bread. Whoo! Lord, you brought us this far in life, not to fail, but to transcend over the Jordan to the promised land. Father, I break off. I break off the spirit of wallow. I break off the spirit of despair. I break off the spirit that says, I'm in sins, Lord, just keep sinning. No, I am telling you right now, Jesus has provided an answer. You need to look at the remembrance of God. Amen. While a sinner, he saved me. He, just, he didn't just save me from the world, but he saved me from myself. And he always provides for me. And he was there when I was a little boy. And he was there when I was a teenager and I was confused. He was still there. With hands wide open saying, David, I'm showing you the land of promise. Cross over with me. Father, I pray for the spirit that was on Caleb to rise in our midst. Father, I pray for a generation of fathers and mothers that walk out in the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. That they listen to the spies and everyone else that says, do what you want, do whatever feels good. That these men and women would say, no, my ways are higher. 
And I know I'm broken and I know I can't handle it. But Holy Spirit is the one who is the different spirit inside of me. Father, I pray that there would be a remembrance that the Caleb's would, would remember like I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. I've served other gods, but they were empty and they were foolish. And they just let me to want more and more and more. There's never an ending. Because I was searching for happiness. And I was searching for things that never could fulfill. But I've been adopted into the household of Judah. It says he is a God. He is Yahweh. One true God. That if you come to him, you will thirst no more. And so, Lord, we empty ourselves before you. We want to be a church and we want to be a people that are Caleb's and are Joshua's. Amen? Amen. Dwight is gonna, and the team is going to continue to play. Let's have, a, let's have a couple of people come on down. Eileen, if you can come on down. Joshua, if you can come on down. I'm going to be down here. I'm telling you, I know there is the Spirit of God that is here that wants to set you free from your junk. He wants to set you free from the, the, the view and the perception of the ten spies. That what you see seems to be real to you. And you need to set that free. You need to get rid of that and step into the truth of God. There's no shame in the house of God. There's no condemnation. And I would argue that for you to cross over the River Jordan to see the promised land, what you need to do right now is you need to cross over the aisle. Like if you, you really need to see that promised land, you need to cross over the Jordan. You need to cross over this aisle right here and come up and get prayer. Have a wonderful week. We'll have some refreshments downstairs. Hope to see you Wednesday. If not, we'll see you next week. Dwight, just, just lead us into the spirit, man.